everybody and welcome to the Property Funder podcast. Before I introduce our guest, if this is not your first time coming to the Property Funder podcast, please could you like, subscribe and give us a five star rating wherever you get your podcasts please, uh, so that more people can experience and enjoy the podcast. Now today we are joined by Lee. Lee, what's your full name? What's your business? And please describe what your business does. Uh, it's Lee Schofield. Uh, my business is PMD Business Finance. Uh, we are a multi-faceted, uh, fast-paced, independent finance business uh, based up in the north. Okay, based up in the north. And the, the north, obviously, it's uh, it's quite a big place, the north. Where, whereabouts in the north are you? Yeah, well, I, I live in I live in Bolton, uh, but the office is in Chatterton, which is basically just on the sort of outskirts, sandwich between Oldham and Manchester. Okay. So, um, yeah, good catchment area. Very good catchment area. Obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of finance businesses in and around the the Manchester area. So, I'm sure plenty of talent and clients as well alike. Um, Lee, what got you into that line of uh, line of work? got into the business and uh, what were the steps you had to take to get there i suppose this is probably going to be uh the, the largest segment of of, uh, of this podcast with of you course. i mean um, the asset finance industry that most people i speak to within within our industry uh fall into it by accident uh, and i was very much the same um so grew up on a, on a council estate in bolton with absolutely no idea of um what asset finance was um, it's a bit of a hidden industry, really, uh, in a lot of senses, um, with, the, with the aspiration of joining the army. Um, so quite a troubled background through childhood, through one reason or another, um, with the sole focus of joining the parachute regiment. I had, I had three uncles who uh, uh, were in the army, were in the parachute regiment, um, real major re- male role, model, uh, role models for me in, in my life, um, and no real plan B. So I joined the army when I was 16. Uh, Spent two and a half years there, uh, came out through injury. Um, no plan B, no direction in all honesty as to, to what was next. So I went through a period, sort of late teens into my early 20s of, uh, I think I had 18 jobs in total. I think I got sacked from all of them. Um, and, I, and I do say that it was probably more me than them uh, at that time. Um, but really complete, completely lost with, with what the next steps were. Um, so my stepfather lent me some money to do a fitness qualification. Uh, and again, I qualified as a, as a personal trainer, worked in, in gyms and uh, got a job at a, quite a, a prestigious health club uh, up in near Manchester, uh, quite affluent, a lot of affluent members. Um, I went there as the manager and I got the job. Um, and it was there really that my eyes opened up to what else was was going on, you know, meeting successful people, the different uh, solicitors, barristers, people in finance. And um, funnily enough, one of the one of the jobs that I had on my day off with one of the members was uh, a CEO of quite a large law firm. And I used to drive for him. I used to chauffeur drive for him on my days off. Uh, and it just ignited something in me that, that, that there was more out there than what I was doing. Um, one of the members was worked in asset finance. Uh, and basically offered me a job, um, took the job, 
150 dials a day, not really knowing what I was saying, not really knowing the product, no real training, but with a, a desire and a tenacity to, to know that there was something better. Um, worked for him for probably 18 months. Um, and then from there, went to went to Amsterdam for the weekend with my girlfriend, who's, who's now my wife. I uh, came back and the office was shut. The building was shut. The business had closed. So um, I started to reach out to, to brokers in the Northwest for a job, basically. And then uh, the, the gentleman who took me on, uh, Peter Dobson, who played quite a, a large, quite a prolific role in mentorship throughout my career, who I then subsequently bought, bought the business from. Um, I used to ring him 12 times a day for a job. Uh, he will tell this story from his side. But uh, yeah, it was a relentless um, pursuit of, of trying to get an opportunity. And that was around 2007 when the um, uh, economic downturn so there was a lot of redundancies happening for his business at the time. And, and he brought me in at £12,000 a year. Um, and I just got on the phones and, and worked hard. And that was a couple of years later, we, we formed PMD or he formed PMD and took me with him. Uh, and that journey then has been 13 years of PMD, uh, getting to a point through uh, bottom performing salesperson to top performing salesperson to director, shareholder and now owner of the business two years ago. And let's let's just touch on that ownership piece. How did you end up becoming the owner of the business? How, how did that play out? You know, for people for people who are currently working in a job that they really enjoy in a company that they like, you know, some of them might be fascinated, would be absolutely love to ultimately own that business that they're working in right now. How how did how did that come about? Yeah, I suppose uh, firstly, I always knew that I wanted to be something more. I wanted the pressure and the responsibility of, of leadership. I always wanted that. I knew sort of in my late 20s, I knew there was something more to just doing the job. Um, although the job was enjoyable, et cetera, et cetera, it didn't have them other angles that fed different parts of my soul, which is you know, people development, building teams, cultures, and, and so on. Um, and also, I was very fortunate to work for somebody who saw that in me and gave me that opportunity. You know, not everybody gets to work with somebody or for somebody that that creates that gateway for them for the right um, for the right person. Um, so I, I bought into the business when I was 29, 30 and became a director at 30. But the opportunity to buy, which happened at 34, came as a result of just a timing thing. He wanted to go and spend more time with his family. Um, Again, I, I became a director, but I knew I wanted something more again. I wanted that greater responsibility. Um, I worked with two other, uh, two of my co-directors who bought the business with me. And the opportunity arose that worked for us all at the right time. And, and you know, I'm a big believer in, in grabbing those opportunities and, and, and driving them through. So um, so that was two, just over two years ago. And without, you know, without divulging sensitive information how how does one go about financing the acquisition of a of a business like pmd how, how did you how did you manage to do that obviously you're in the industry you know how to access finance but <laughs> yeah. uh you, well if you and if you didn't then i suppose that, that might be problematic <laughs> but um you know it's still there's one thing doing asset finance another thing funding the acquisition of a of a, of a business purchase yeah, we're we're very you know we're very open and transparent with with uh, the team with the business. Um, we funded it through um, skin in the game as it is. We we put our own funds, our sort of money where our mouth is, uh, and then we funded it through the future profits of the business. So the as a brokerage, um, we're very cash generative. So there's cash within the business at day one. 
uh, which could be utilized. Um, and then fundamentally through the performance of the business, the better we perform, the quicker you, you pay off that debt. Um, you know, we're, we're very open and transparent. Like I said, we talk about this in, in the office with, with the team. So, um, you know, talking to you about it today is absolutely not a problem. So there, so there wasn't a, there's no third party equity provider involved in in financing. It's it's all kind of a it's essentially all a, a lev- it's a leveraged buyout, as it were, essentially. Yeah, it was almost a, you know, the five of us, uh, as it is, had worked together for for a number of years. You know, myself and Rob had been here since the business started when there were six of us. Uh, Tom joined the business six, seven years later uh, and was part of that as well. So the five of us had worked together for a long time and it was almost just like a readjustment of the of the shareholding, if you will. So we're still the same people, the people that we all all the money to are still within the business and, and still operate within the business. So we're, it made it quite quite easy, quite straightforward in a lot of ways um, because we all wanted the same thing, which is fundamentally to build a, build a successful business um, and get the rewards at the right time for that. You talk about leadership uh, and it's something that comes very naturally to you. Do you think that's something that came to you from your your time in the military? Um, Or do you think that's something a bit more innate? I would say uh, it was very easy in my upbringing to to do the wrong thing. Uh, There were a lot of people around me, uh, you know, my child are doing the wrong thing and falling into the wrong crowd. It was the easy opt out. and I was always quite strong-willed, you know, I, I didn't truant from school, I didn't, you know, I never did anything that the other kids were doing, and I was quite um, steadfast in, in, I suppose, being a shepherd rather than a sheep in, in that sense. Um, the military thing helps because you're looking at leaders, you're looking at how they operate, but I probably wasn't switched onto it as such. But certainly as I've started in, in, in the business world, um, you know, even from starting in sales, uh, I've been fortunate enough to come into contact with inspirational people, people who are successful that I can learn from and you can take little bits away from to sort of pull yourself together as a leader. You know, I don't I don't think there's, there's elements that are natural, doing the right thing, being disciplined, hard working and all that. I've always had all that sort of stuff. But the polish that's needed and the uh, social awareness, I would call it, you know, sort of emotional awareness of people is, is huge. When you're trying to, you know, and the the military do that in better than anybody. You know, what, what other organisation gets people to sign up on on relatively low salaries to go and spend time away from the families and put themselves at risk? It's, you know, it's, there's probably no other business that does does that as such. So, um, I look at it and I try and replicate some of the amazing things that the military does. That camaraderie, that team spirit, that driving people to a common goal or objective, whatever that is, and try and do that in a in a business sense where. Uh, regardless of your journey to working at PMD, regardless of your obstacles, regardless of your skill set, knowledge that actually when you turn up, you turn up to make a difference and to contribute. And I think if you can harness a culture where everyone contributes as maximum as they can to achieve, you know, and I try and add a business journey into their individual journeys, you know, don't turn up to PMD for me, don't do it for me, do it for you. And really harness your why why do you want to be successful and if we can then put that under the pmd banner into the and pull it all together as a business objective then we'll have a, a bloody successful business and we'll have some great people who achieve amazing things as well yeah that's that's really interesting because i always think you know i think particularly about avonmore as a business that the finance business that i founded uh, and still involved with as a shareholder in ned the the thing that set a you know a real you know set an even more person apart 
from someone who was a non-Avermore person was, or at least the people who lasted, was that they saw if someone works for Avermore, their approach is one of that Avermore is a career for them rather yeah. than it's just a job. And the people who treated their employment as just a job, you know, sort of, you know, clock punches, as it were, they never lasted. But I'm curious to get your take on on this in particular. How how do you how do you get someone in that mindset in that in, in, and to have the right frame of mind where they are almost treating themselves like a to what to me sounds like they're they're essentially an entrepreneur under the PMD banner. But how it how do you, is that something you mold mold people or is that something that comes through? the recruitment and so you you also ultimately have to filter those people out as you're as they're coming into the business yeah i think that comes back to the military so the the parachute regiment which is um you know the 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 pinnacle of, of infantry soldiering if you will um when i was a child i used to talk to my uncles about it and they used to say well in in, in the parachute regiment you can have tall people who can be successful small people can be it doesn't matter the shape and size of the individual what what knitted those people together was was the minerals was the core fundamentals of who they are as a person so i think recruitment's a massive part of it and identifying um what minerals what qualities do you want to see because regardless of age gender race you can knit people together through that them underlying components and then you can teach the job and and the people who are here develop the culture i don't tell people what the culture is i think from a leadership perspective providing transparency knowing giving people the why but from a business perspective this is why we want it done this way and this is why what we're trying to achieve i think being uh, confident in building a vision and so people can see themselves in that vision is, is huge um uh, acknowledging different skill sets and having a base level of respect and, and letting people know what the standards are that you don't have to all like each other you don't have to all spend weekends together but there has to be a level of respect and appreciation for different skills to fundamentally get us where we need to be and deliver for our clients and our partners um and uh, yeah and, and transparency in in which knits all that together really why is the business doing what it's doing where is it going what do we expect what do you expect from each other and and uh, encouraging people to hold each other accountable you know I, I tell people here you know we employ adults professional adults I don't need to you know be a teacher or a we don't run a nursery if you've got challenges with a colleague you can deal with them yourselves you've got the autonomy to deal with them in, in the way that you see fit as long as the customer and the experience for that client is at the heart of it then you will find the right solution um, and the, the, the last bit is just building a framework that people know he's there, but they never really touch the sides of that framework, if that makes sense. So people come into the business knowing they have to work hard. It's not policed every day. They just know it's it's a fundamental of being successful in this business. So you're very much treating the people that work for you like adults in that respect. And is that is that a fair way of yeah, express, yeah, I, expressing I, it? Absolutely. That, you know, I used to say when we were far smaller that, uh, you know, I used to leave the office going on holiday and I used to say, look, even to the junior member of staff, as long as your decisions are, I've got the customer or the partner at the centre of your decision making, we're not going to get it that wrong. So even if we go slightly to the left or slightly to the right, we'll be able to rectify any challenge or, or problem or whatever you want to call it, we'll be able to get it sorted. And um, when I look at it now, it's 
it's giving people that framework allows people to fail or get it wrong slightly but without micromanaging um i'm not a big micromanager you know we're all busy we've all got things to do but they know that there's a framework there and and, and again when i look what, what makes our business special is, is the people so we don't want to employ 60 robots we want 60 people with personality who can engage with people who can pick the phone up and talk to customers and we can encourage our customers to pick the phone up to us as well yeah i was i was gonna say about the micromanagement piece it sounds to me like you're quite a natural delegator which fundamentally is a really useful skill as a manager to enable uh, scaling and growth um but in that context how do you how do you maintain and enforce standards because you clearly there there will be times you're going to have to do that otherwise the quality of the work that you do will will start to fall down and clients will start to desert you and because your reputation as a business will will go in the wrong direction how how do you how do you manage that um for me it's we're very like i said we're very fortunate the spine of our team you know in a football analogy the spine of our team is is absolutely rock solid with from from a culture perspective they're people who've been with us a long time they're people that are open to change you know we've not got people who've been with us for 13 years and we've always done it this way so we should always continue to do it in the same way so we have a spine of our business that uh, are open to driving change and encouraging ideas so naturally when new people come in and they report into line management or all that spine the new people are encouraged to give us ideas you know we we've had four new starters this week uh, i do the initial sort of introduction to the business and the first thing is encouragement of ideas and even if even if they're absolutely ridiculous or you know not the fact is is that we're creating a, a, an environment where it's okay to put your hand up uh, and i always say to people it's in the same breath it's okay to not be okay so if you are struggling if you don't know something just put your hand up you're not going to be you know laughed at there's no because we've all been in that situation and again i go back to the the military experience that I had albeit you know shorter lived than i anticipated when I was away from home at 16 year old, I always used to think it used to get rammed home to me that everyone's, if you know, you're homesick or sad or whatever, that everybody's feeling the same way when you look around and to build a business where even if you're struggling or if you you feel like you've got too much on to actually being able to put your hand up and say, I'm struggling here. It creates an environment where people can just be open and, and then that's where the team spirit comes from, because then you get people going, well, I'll help you with that or I'll take that off you. And but fundamentally to to deliver um and that comes from not just a professional thing but from a mental health perspective as well people will always put their hand up and saying it's, it's okay to not be okay so mm. it, that that feeling does run through our business as well which i'm I'm really proud of no i mean look at all credit to you for putting in place that sort of culture i think instinctively people want to be needed and i think people want to help as well and um it sounds like you're, you're creating an environment and a culture which allows for that openness and collaboration and people people helping one another um you know i, I think if you look at uh, the flip side of that where business cultures can go in the wrong direction it's when and it, and it starts at the top when the leaders of a business blag that that like they know everything that they can do everything and they don't put their hands up and they don't ask for help and then that filters through into through the rest of the team and yeah. And then no, no one's help. No one's helping anyone. No one's helping 
each other. Uh, there's the communication between individuals, between teams is poor and business suffers as a consequence of that. So it sounds to me like you're really in a in a really good space as far as that's concerned. You yeah, talk I'm, 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 I allow, uh, from a leadership perspective, I allow uh, I, I open myself up to, to vulnerability, um, you know, through through a lot of different uh, means, because, again, I think it's important that when you when you're running a business, that the business knows that you're human as well. And you're not just all about the number or all just about performance or all that actually we're human beings. We have the same anxieties. We have the same frustrations, stresses, whatever that might be. Um, you know, I think it's important to to share that because that's where you get a higher level of engagement from your team because they want to do it for themselves, but they understand that you want to do it for them. And it, mm. you know what I mean? It all sort of manifests itself in, in us all, uh, you know, and I look at it about work ethic I do the basics really well so I get in early and normally open up you know the, me and me and Tom who, who run the business predominantly day to day are in early we leave late you know it's those basics that don't cost anything but I think just set the right example yeah absolutely uh, I think that kind of there's some there's, there's some people that don't like this concept of presenteeism but I think ultimately and I've experienced it myself, is that you do need to lead from the front. People do need to see you as the most senior person, as the owner of the business or as the CEO coming in, putting in the shift, getting in early, you know, not messing around. And then, yeah, if you're if you're the last to leave as well, it sets the tone. And I think, you know, we, we saw it within Avermore, the people who've been with us for a long time they continue and carry that tradition through, even though Zahir and I aren't in the business uh, operationally anymore. We know and we see it still that those people who have been with us since the start, they carry through that um, that culture and that that behaviour, uh, that, that sort of behaviour. And it's not necessarily about staying, just staying late for the sake of it. You know, and I think that's something we've always been very clear about is stay late stay late if you need to because there's work to do don't stay late because you somehow feel obligated to do so because that's part of the culture um, yeah and, it's, and the, the freedom that we give the business is is uh, performance related and what i mean by that is if you come in and work hard and do the basics really well then the freedom that comes with that and we want our business and the people within our business to to have a, a balance and to achieve fantastic things and again I've always been mindful of you when you build a business and build a team that people have varying degrees of success what they perceive as success uh you know and I'm fortunate to be where I am now to, to look back at the 60 people we've got in our business now and and see them do some amazing things and some a lot of them things aren't work related you know some amazing things away from work you know the holiday they want to go on the, the house they want to live in Cali wants to drive whatever it is that that sort of floats their boat is we are the foundation of a lot of people's lives and we take that responsibility really seriously yeah i i'm I'm with you on that you know i'm sure pandemic is a great example of it is that we made a we made a very conscious effort not to furlough a single person even though the option was available to us and would have saved us a lot of money because our view was we had the cash to not do so and we knew we knew that we knew how important it was to the, the the psyche and the and the mindset of the people that work for us, particularly quite young young people, for them to stay active and engaged, and I think that it would have 
it would have it would probably have been quite damaging to a lot of them if we'd put them on furlough and i think it would have left them with a real sense of uncertainty and that i think has been has has repaid something's re repaid us in spades as a as a consequence of that because in in the years that have passed i mean it's hard to believe it's three years now since covid started more than three years um almost all of those people who were with us then were the core people that they're, they're still part of the team and they're integral integral parts of the team as, as a fun as a consequence of that when ultimately i'm sure they're getting phone calls from recruiters all the time um yeah. you know trying trying to trying to, to pull them away um you talk about i mean you, you talk about the f freedom and the flexibility as well i mean one of the things i was thinking about just as you were saying that is that you I, I could imagine as well because you you treat everyone like adults if everyone's performing the way that they they need to be performing if everyone's putting the work in and then ultimately you're you're never having to pay attention to how many cigarette breaks someone takes or how long they go for lunch or how long they've gone to the gym for or you know fill in the blank because ultimately yeah. if they're getting the, if they're getting the job done or, or how many you know how many holidays they take or how long they're away on holiday if they're getting the job done it doesn't matter you don't care and i think that sounds like you've got that a really solid a really solid culture there that that feeds into that yeah, i look at it and i look at like sort of something small like cigarette breaks or, or that element of day-to-day -day freedoms that, that that people afford themselves and the, i would say that the team in the main police themselves you know if if we're busy we're busy you know I'm very big on the basics. If if you if you smoke and you well vape or whatever, and you know that you've got stacks of and you the team that you operate within is absolutely stacked out, but you just need a little break because the job's quite intense. Communicate that you know just don't don't just get up from your desk and walk out. You know say to the team, look, I just need five minutes here and I'll come back. And and again, it's that communication piece because I think the big, biggest killer of culture is perception. Yeah. I mean, perce perception is everything. I, I would say. Yeah, certainly, you know, we 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 uh, focus a lot on getting people into the office. We're very office focused because we believe in you know cross uh, cross pollination of skill sets and products of opportunities um, of culture and and it goes back to something you said. It, everyone wants to feel part of something. You know, even even when I look at our business development team, they there's not I'm the top guy, you're the bottom guy. Because I always sort of ram home to them that nobody wants to be the top goal scorer of a team that's bottom of the league. This is about everybody performing at the highest level that they can possibly perform at. It's not about one person or a group of people. This is about everybody achieving. Um, so we have, um, you know, a conveyor belt of talent that, that is coming through and they're doing fantastically well. But they're nowhere near the top guys. But actually, you've got the top guys getting involved with the guys who are just joining us and, and encouraging them and coaching them on the job. And they're doing it without me telling them or directing them. And um, again, when I look, that's something I'm I'm hugely proud of. Which, which again, if you if you roll all this back, goes back to finding great people. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's something that's clearly innate in the people that you're hiring. Um, I mean, you you use the word minerals just on that on that hiring piece. Is that something? I guess is that something that you can spot instantly, or you know, in the first five minutes of meeting someone in an interview? Um, I would say, look, there's a lot of times I've got it wrong. Because you know, there's, I think we've all employed people who think, why, why have I done that? Um, but I'm a, I'm a, I've always, I've never been afraid to get it wrong. Um, and I, I, I talk to my children. I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and 
I'm a big believer that you have to go where the majority don't go. That's where the biggest wins are. That's where the biggest successes are in that place of uncomfortable or the unknown. Um, and it's the same with recruitment. Sometimes you've just got to tr trust your gut, gut instincts and sometimes you get it wrong. But for me, the interview process, spotting it early, making sure that you trusted people within your business, get around them new starters early and feedback if there's anything that you might have missed. Um, I like to really, I suppose, I, I normally interview with somebody else. They tend to do the, the, the business related questions and I tend to do the people related questions, which are around, you know, what was your upbringing? You know, what does your social circle look like? What does your family look like? Who are you as a person? What matters? And you tend to, you, you know, you tend to get it fed fed through that. Like I said, it's uh, I get it. Hopefully, get it right more than I get it wrong. I suppose with with the number of years you've been in the business and a director of the business and and part of the recruitment, you you probably have a very good sense now as to as to who's who's right and who's not. Um, when someone's, you know, when you do get it wrong, how do you go about how do you go about, I suppose, exiting them from the business? Um, and, you know, was your 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 period of having 18 jobs in a short period of time does and, and being removed from them? Does that help help you be empathic with them when when you're when you're exiting them from the business? I um, I would say that in the past, we maybe have let things go on a little bit too long. Uh, and certainly we identify it a lot quicker now because we've got the, the performance management um, metrics in place and mechanisms in place from a performance perspective. From a culture perspective, it stands out a mile. Um, so if you're if you're one of 60 that's swimming against the tide, um, someone taught me a, a lesson once, which is you've got to be able to look somebody in the eye and know that you've done everything. You know, you can't just get rid of someone and not then they understand why they have to leave the business knowing why and knowing something was or was not acceptable, whether that's culture or performance. Um, so I always stick to that rule, can I look this person in the eye and know that, hey, have I done everything I could? Um, so we've put a lot, a lot of changes out in the business recently. And one of the sort of things that I, I said to the team was, our responsibility is to create a platform where if you are really, really hyper successful, all the praise and all the plaudits goes to you. It's your hard work, it's your talent, it's your ability. But also if you fail within this business, the same platform was available, so it minimises the amount of excuse an individual's got for why they didn't succeed. Yeah, extreme. It's extreme ownership, extreme accountability. It's. Uh, I think it's, if you're a fan of Jocko Willink, it's uh, very much part of his uh, his mantra. Um, yeah. And and certainly, you know, it, I think that's the that's the thing is you you don't want to give you don't want to give people too many places to hide when when they've got things wrong and it's not because you want to blame or shame them it's because you you don't i think if, you, you don't want to send a mixed signal that somehow the failure was the, the failure is tolerable and that's not necessarily that one person's fault that they can they can somehow they're absolved of some some if not all of the blame you can actually say yeah. listen you know you the only way you're going to learn from these things is is accepting that these were your failures um, and and how how do we move on from that? Is is that something that you're that you're doing? That you, you know that feedback when someone does get it wrong. Um, yeah, you know how how forgiving how forgiving are you able to be in that scenario? I, I would have to give you send you the slide deck of um, our, our sort of standards piece that everyone joining the business goes through, and and one of the one of the pillars, if you will, is taking ownership. Um, and the taking ownership is, is for me is in both sides. It's taking ownership in victory, you know, in success. You know, I, I want people, I want people to 
applaud and acknowledge other people who are being successful in the business because I think it's the right thing to do. You know, we shouldn't be shy of success. I think a lot of people, and I think um, the media and everything that goes on, I think you, I think you have to. It's pushed on you to have a low profile, but I think there's a way of there's a way of being successful. There's a way of people buying into that success and getting people on the journey with you. Um, but also, I think taking ownership when you do get it wrong as well, and and saying, do you know what, I, I messed up here, and I can see where I messed up, and actually, I need some support there. Um, for me, it goes, but there's a there's a thing about is is it the same mistake keep happening over and over again, or is it the same character trait? Is it the same thing? Because naturally, some people you let your guard down, things happen. Um, but come once you've been once it's been highlighted, once you've been supported and guided and trained or developed or whatever it is you need, if you then go on and do it again and do it again and do it again, that, that obviously the tolerance level naturally reduces. Um, but we're very very supportive because from the from day one that their success is our success. We're not in the job of bringing people in to get rid of them. We want a hundred percent success rate. You know, that's what that's what the ambition is. You start with us day one and we are on your journey. You are on our train with us. We want each other to be successful and we need people to buy into that very early. And in the same way, we'll buy into you very early and give you what you need to, to do what you need to do. Yeah, it's that kind of you win, we win sort of sort of scenario. It's a, a light, you, you've got, you know, highly aligned interests, essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, and I look at back through my mentor and role model who I work with, and that we always said we ran at par- the thing that we used to say we run at parallel but at different levels. You know, he was the owner of the business at the time, and I was an employee in sales. But I wanted to be successful for me, but I also knew because he was my mentor and my role model, I had respect for him. I wanted him to do well, and I wasn't blinded by well. You know, we've had it in the past where. Well, um, if I'm more successful, that means that you are. And we, what we try to do is remove that human element to it, if, you, if that makes sense. I'm mm. explaining this in the right way. That it's not about Lee Schofield being successful and wealthy or whatever that might be. That actually, that you can see that we're continually reinvesting in the environment that you work in. We're just about to move over to new premises. You know, we're spending a, you know a large amount of money creating a new environment. They can see that we're investing in technology. We're investing in the in uh, career progression for them. You know, it's not all about you know stripping every last pound out of the business. So that over the years we've really got rid of that. That that we're on this huge train that everyone's on together, uh, and if they win, we win, and, and vice versa. It's not uncommon, you know, you're a, bus- a business of 60 individuals. It's not uncommon in the, I suppose, in the in the brokerage space for for people to go and break off. And uh, once they've got once they've got the the experience, the qualifications and and maybe a client base, it's not uncommon for the for, for people to go and break off and um, set up their own companies or go self-employed, what have you. You know, it's a it, it, you'll, it, you'll certainly be no stranger to it. Yeah. Um, how have you managed to, you know, to to have a, a business of, of your size and scale in terms of headcount of 60 individuals that puts you very much in a small, very small minority of businesses like yours? How have you had, you know, apart from what we've already discussed, do you, you know, first of all, is does is that an ever present risk, the, the flight risk of some of the more experienced people? Uh, and second, how do you think you're going about? retaining those staff that might otherwise be going going and set, going setting up on their own i think what we've done i mean it's, it's fresh uh, in the mind that that question uh we, we have three 
three good, two of our top performers and um, another guy leave at the beginning of this year, sort of December, January, February. Um, and it did come as a bit of a sort of out of the blue a little bit, but all for the same reasons. Um, went and think they can do it on their own and all the rest of it, which is fine. And we're, we're always going to get that. I think I think the thing for, for me is it's something that I've, when I was in sales and it was just had to focus on me, my, my goal and my objective was was absolutely hammered into the ground. Nothing would shake me off where I wanted to get to and what I wanted to do. And we've become louder about that message within the business. So we are very loud at the minute of our objective, where we want to go at the business and we want people to be part of it because not everybody wants to be a business owner. You know, not everybody wants the stress and everything that comes with it. And within our industry, within our business, you can earn fantastic amounts of money and have a great life and all the things you want to achieve, live and, you know, live and drive and do whatever, but actually be part of something as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's ingrained in human beings to want to be part of, of something, um, whether it's a gym class, a business, a, a movement, whatever it is. Uh, and it's creating that field that subconsciously, if you get off the train here, that I could miss something pretty special. So people want to be here and they want to, you know, we don't force them, but they also know there's there's a conviction in what we're doing, that if it's not you and you do choose to go and do something else, that's absolutely fine because it's not going to derail us. Because guess what? We're proving that talent is out there. We're proving that other organisations in, in this part of the country are not looking after their people and rewarding them. And they, they've not created that feeling of, actually if i stay within this business i'm going to achieve here and that's what we we want to do so hopefully you know we will always have people that leave uh that's just the way it is um but we've got a very very low attrition rate of staff um and we something we're really proud of and, and like i said as we scale which again we're going through a huge growth curve at the minute and people are at the heart of it we're going to have people that leave but those that stay on the journey with us will achieve amazing things and will achieve what what their individual goals and aspirations are is uh, is the plan in terms you talk about your goals and aspirations what does that what does that look like you know over the next you, you say you're you're circa 60 people at the moment where where do you where are you hoping to get to in terms of headcount over the next i don't know two to five years well, we've got 25 uh people in business development that will be 50 by the end of next year um that will probably take overall headcount with with support function and, and some of the other bits, compliance and other things, probably to one between one ten and one twenty by the end of next year. Wow, that's uh, that's quite significant. And um, you you know what in terms of growth, what's you know is it is it all going to be all organic growth or have you got an, your eye on maybe acquiring some businesses as well um, in, in other sectors? No, we, we believe we can get, we've only done a plan up for the next couple of years. Um, we can do that organically. I mean, we we are awash with data. We've been we've been in the industry for 13 years. Um, we are awash with data. Um, so that's the thing we're focusing on a lot at the minute is making sure that we've got the right advisors, the right people with the right skill sets, liaising with the right clients to support their business growth, but obviously maximise the opportunity for us as well. Um, the technology focus, are, are, again, integration of data cleanse was the starting point, making sure people are, are, are in the right swim lanes. Um, automation of email and SMS, how are we communicating with customers? How can we do it better? Um, the really big USP for us um, is that the, the different product styles we've got are all under one roof. So we have property, we have ABL, we have IF, asset, merchant, 
you know, all of that, you know, supplier finance, you know, we deal with manufacturers and equipment suppliers is all under one roof. So a customer journey is far better with us because they're all the same people. We're not having to outsource anything. Um, so again, when I look at that, we've got 900 or 1,000 customers in haulage, for example, is one example, um, under an SIC code of transport, but there are 87,000 businesses with the same SIC code. So you think, well, we're only, we're not, we're only scratching the surface of we, what we perceive as a, a strong sector for us. So there's absolutely loads to go at. And would would you be looking at, at going outside, you know, looking at expanding your offering outside of the the, the brokerage or the finance space? Or, or, I say the finance space, but outside of the brokerage space in, term, in terms of finance brokerage into looking at other sectors such as insurance for as as one thing. Um, we've, we've seen this week that uh, Sirius uh, slash Brightstar They've set up a insurance division. Savile's private finance, finance were acquired by Howden's. Um, uh, some smaller brokerages that I know are have, have are acquiring accountancy firms. They've got in-house uh, mortgage protection. They're, they're forming JVs with general insurance companies, um, buying and even buying estate agency businesses. Are are you look? Would you consider looking at any of these particular areas to enable you to capture more verticals and then create that sort of cross pollination across departments to to help with the growth? Or do you, do you feel that at the moment you don't need that? Well, I think there's a lot of growth in what we've got. Uh, as a starting point, um, we we grow the you know when we started we were just point of sale uh, supplier finance and then we went into direct sales and then it's sort of grown. Um, you know, we've not tried to cobble it together. We've brought experts in who are experts in their field to drive those products. Um, so there's a lot of scale in in what we're already doing. Um, we're always open for opportunity to to move slightly to the left or slightly to the right. Um, you know, to create other avenues, uh, other revenue streams, other business opportunities, and other ways of um, supporting our our clients and partners better. Um, so yeah, if the right opportunity came along, we would we would definitely sit down and we. There's other things and conversations we've had with um, vehicle sourcing in the past is just one example. It didn't materialise, it, it didn't quite work, but that's not to say we wouldn't look at things. Uh, and I think having having the attitude of we don't know everything and we're not perfect, but we're striving to be, if you know what I mean, I think having mm. that attitude cr creates opportunity and encourages people to come and talk to you as well. And have you considered about creating your own lending, lending arms as well or lending vehicles or, or is it again you prefer to sort of be on the advisor side and and keep the I suppose keep that Chinese wall up. Yeah, we we we've got a very small loan book which is used for sort of niche deals that you wouldn't necessarily replace elsewhere where you where you know the supply route versus asset you know the supply route you know the customer you know it's a relatively safe transaction. Um, from a lending perspective, when I look back at COVID, you touched on COVID before, but. Uh, during that time, our, our competition who did lend their own money retreated. It all went to obviously um, payment holidays and uh, their, their business development teams got brought in house and had to focus on, on that. We didn't. We focused purely on new business because we didn't have the administrative challenges that came around from, from lending your own money. So COVID was a real period of growth for us, uh, both in, in headcount, but also in sort of the volumes written because we were focusing on supporting businesses proactively. Um, so that was that was great. You also then look at if you were then moving to lending your own money, 
the headcount has to move up again quite considerably with uh, collections departments and another administration of, of that book. Um, so yeah, again, it's the same old thing. It's it's not off off the agenda, um, but it's probably not for right now. Over the next couple of years, we've got to purely focus on being um, uh, the best broker that we can be in that sense. Just touching on COVID, you, you've obviously built this incredibly strong working culture, which obviously I'm, I feel like I can re- resonates with me and I can connect with as well because it's something that I feel that we've successfully created as well. Um, how did you man- How did you go about maintaining that culture when everyone had to work remotely, and how how easy was it to get people to come back into the office, and how quickly were were, were people coming back to the office when they had the opportunity? Um, yeah, really good question. Um, communication was was massive. Uh, again, so we we didn't. Um, I think we furloughed three people, four people, but on a rotor basis for about the first four weeks. And I think the first four weeks of COVID, I think everybody just took stock and went, right, what is going to happen here? But very quickly, you know, we st- business level started to increase week on week, month on month. So that furlough period. You know, like I said, it was either two or four weeks. I think it. I think we utilised it. Um, but again, it was probably more utilisation of the nervousness of what's going to happen because we didn't know. Um, but we performed fantastically well. Um, I look at culturally, what did we do? We communicated a lot by teams. We arranged events, so we did cocktail making in in your living room type events where we sent all the packs of cocktail making to people's houses. We got an online cocktail bartender to. Um, to demo it and, and it was it was great and then everyone stayed on afterwards and, and again there was a social aspect to it um getting people to the office was really really easy people wanted to be in people missed the commute people missed that time listening to the radio on the way into the office people missed that interaction so we've got a very sociable group of people and they wanted to get in uh, obviously within the parameters that, that the government had set the guidelines that the government set at the time um, but very, very quickly when it was business as usual. Um, yeah, it, it was it was it, that was a really easy part to our business of getting people in. Um, I lasted, I think, six weeks working from home uh, and I have a designated space, but I would literally just come into the office and open up and sit in the building on my, ho- on my own. Just for that feeling of commute and getting up and going doing something. So, um, yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, I think everybody dealt with it differently. Well, you know, we. we we have an office in Cannon Street, Central London, and uh, driving into the office probably would have would have been an option uh, if I wanted to choose it because there was obviously so little traffic, but not really yeah. a pra- not really a practical one. But yeah, I mean, I I think I was back in the city about June of 2020. Uh, it, it was only just a you know it was only just the, us founders ultimately in the office, um, but th- there was something about being you know being it's there yeah yeah there's there, there definitely something about that and, and uh definitely uh, uh, you know also probably quite good to just get away from the the four walls that you're used to staring at as well, uh, on top of that home life work became home and home became work. Yeah. The, the you know there was a blend so then you just wanted to get out of home sometimes in in the nicest possible way yeah no absolutely and uh yeah, that, as much as the weather was great and going for having a calls and uh walking walking and talking even that i think started to wane a little bit didn't it um yeah in terms of you know we obviously talked about your aspirations where you want to go do you do you see any particular threats on the horizon for your business in the next sort of 
18 months or so anything that you you think is going to be a, could be a challenge that you experience yeah i'm quite positive when it comes to challenges you know there's things a lot of things that you can't control certainly in finance and rates and you know no matter what sort of finance business or business you run there's an element of stuff that you can't control um the biggest challenge as i see for our businesses during this growth curve is attracting the right senior people who come with uh, you know i only know what i know and we only know what we know and the board of directors only know what we know but we have to bring people in at that level who have who have done done it bigger who can come with new ideas help us i said it to someone the other day help us navigate the puddles that we're probably going to stand in and i think that's the crucial bit is, is bringing the right members of that team that leadership team in to help us take it to the next level and and not lose what's so special about this business yeah because i guess as you start to grow you're going to start to tread on the toes of some of the bigger competitors that you've got and yeah you, you obviously need to know where the minds are you know where the minds are bit buried and try to navigate around those well, some of those people that we're, we're talking to are not even, some of them are not even from finance. It's, it goes back to the people again and, and the skill set and the experience and come into the business with a clean set of eyes. Yeah, you know, have a look at the plan, look what we want to achieve. Uh, and again, even at the, the more senior of level, come in and make a difference. Come with the desire to want to have an impact to, to take this business to the next level with us. Um, so that then that culture, that spine is right from the top all the way through through the team to, to the people who are only just coming out of training today. And and in terms of like your long term aspirations, you know, what's the, what would be, you know, five, 10, 20 years from now, whatever, would 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 one of your aspirations be to to IPO, to exit, you know, sell to a private equity company, sell to a, a competitor, sell to a lender, whatever it is, would that be something that you'd want or or is this something you see see yourself continue in 20 years time 25 years time you're still running the business still still doing it because you because you love it so much we 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 will uh, make the right decisions that are right for the people is the first and foremost uh, the assurances that we've always given people uh, in our business um and we will go as far as, as we can take it um but from my perspective, if I talk about me personally, I, I don't know anything other than 100%. Um, I give everything 100% all the time. It's quite tiring sometimes, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business people are like that. If you're passionate about what you do. Um, my biggest fear, I suppose, is looking back at my life and thinking I, I could have given it more. You know, and wherever I am at that time, wherever I am in 20 years time, as long as I can look back and go, I gave it everything and I can look back on a legacy that sees 100 people, 200 people, 300 people who were all achieving amazing things. Whatever that journey is to get to that point, that's what I'm focused on. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's uh, that's a point well made and very well said. But, you know, as someone who who does give it their all, does give it that 100 percent. I mean, how, how you know, outside of work, are there any particular habits and behaviours you're engaged in? that enable you to be the successful business leader that you are because obviously it's it's a very full-on that you have you're you're clearly going to be working more than seven and a half eight hours a day um you know how do you how do how do you maintain your energy you know what what keeps you balanced what keeps you level uh my family yeah i've got two i've got two young boys um 
I've got two young boys who absorb my weekends. You know, I'm, I'm, they're bought into the journey as well, if that makes sense. I've got an eight-year-old mm-hmm. boy. He's very, very switched on. He knows that I work hard and why we work hard. And, you know, he's very aware that he has a different life to the one that I had and the upbringing that I've had and, you know, creating that awareness at home. Um, but they, they consume my time. They, they keep me active. Um, that that's my balance if I'm being honest uh, you know yeah. I can't say that I, I couldn't say to you that I've got you know a list of a, a load of hobbies um I'm very focused on the business and I enjoy it and I enjoy thinking about the business and how can we make it better um but that energy release comes from a really supportive home dynamic and uh throwing yourself into being with your kids at eight and four who like I said it's uh it's non-stop when it comes to Saturdays and Sundays which which is what I love <laughs> I mean, in, but for, uh, I suppose from a health perspective, you know, you're obviously, you know, work, as we both know, can be quite stressful, long hours in the office. Um, you know, you, 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 you're you always grabbing a quick bite, yeah. cakes, treats, all that kind of thing. You know, you, do you have, you know, do you do anything particularly to maintain a good diet? Do you try and yeah, obviously you spend time with your kids, so I'm sure they 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 run you run they run you ragged on the weekends. But yeah. do you do anything in particular to keep fit? You know, train personal trainer, gym, running. No, what, I, you know, I, again through my background in the army, and then obviously getting my personal training qualifications. Um, you know, I do go to the gym. Am I as disciplined with it as historically? And as the business has grown, it probably obviously demands more of your time. So I try and get to the gym as much as possible. Um, but sensible decisions it boils down to you know it's very easy in our world of of finance I could go out every night and I could drink alcohol every night and I could be eating restaurants every night and it's just making those sensible decisions which then comes down to your time management you know I say no to a lot of things that I could say yes to uh, because I know it's going to impact me the next day or actually where is the value in that and and being precious with your time keeps you disciplined in that sense Um, Again, from a food and dietary perspective, again, just just being sensible, just being to try. You know, I don't deny myself anything in that sense, um, because I think again, it, it helps create that balance. I think if you are so rigid at work and so focused and so focused on everything else, it doesn't leave you any any manoeuvre to uh, any sort of wiggle room. I think it's quite difficult to maintain that if you're hyper focused in every sort of aspect. You know, as soon as I leave this business. I'm relatively relaxed. I'm relatively sort of, uh, I like to not have too much of a plan at the weekend and allow my children to dictate what that looks like. So again, I think that that gives it a balance because Monday to Friday, I am so focused. And, and even, you know, when the kids go to bed on a Saturday and Sunday or they're still in bed on a Sunday morning, there's an element of focus on work. You're thinking about it. And I think, um, I think to achieve the optimum potential from from your ability i don't think you can find a work life i think something has to be sacrificed yeah i'd agree with that you know i think ultimately work-life balance is a myth if you're an entrepreneur and you want to be a success um you know only yes. only a few years ago my sunday afternoons would often be spent in zero doing the doing bookkeeping you know it's yeah. you know because it there wasn't the there wasn't the cash to pay a bookkeeper. We didn't have a finance director or anything like that. Uh, well, so so someone had to, someone had to do it, and that, and that that was me. Yeah, I think I think what it does when you're like that is it, those moments when you are with your children or your loved ones or with your friends or whatever, they make those times even it almost magnifies the feeling when you're in those moments. 
you know, you have a better time. You, you, you're you more appreciative of what you're doing because you know that you're probably going to have to be straight back at it or you've got an early start the next day. So, um, yeah, for me, uh, that, that there is no work-life balance. And, and if I was to order, you know, who, who who suffers the most in that, it's fundamentally me because you don't want to, you don't want to, that to impact your children or, or any other relationships that you've got or your wife, whatever. Fundamentally, I absorb that. But I actually don't mind because it means that that the win is there, and that's the the feeling of of the win. And the win is whether that's not just business success, but that's looking at your children and they're happy and the the that you're giving them the time when you've got the time with them. That's it's all of your time, and you're you're fully focused on them. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say it's taken me a, it's actually taken me a long time to be better at engaging with yeah. them and being focused with them because I think when I was you know, when when the business was in that sort of hyper growth phase, um, you know, it's, it's probably even goes up right up into the pandemic. And I probably, you know, we, the weekend really only started on Sunday morning because yeah, it, because I'm still, you know, it takes it took it would take me all of Saturday to kind of get out of work Michael mode to home Michael mode, and so. And it's very really easy to to slip back. So I think it is a con constant. Uh, constant work in progress yeah so i think it's very easy to because the reality is if you're an entrepreneur uh, you're, you're um there's an element of competitiveness and if you see a win and a win can be a transaction but a win can be a project it can be uh, changing a process it could be you know I, I try and i say a lot of things as you know a win and it could be winning the business it'd be getting person in the right job doing the right things and seeing that impact that's a win to me and that consumes that that time and if you see it and you know it needs your input it's quite a difficult thing to shake out of your head you know there's a matter of times where you go are you even pre are you presently are you in the moment and that's one thing i've struggled with over the years is, is being in that moment but again i probably used to beat myself up over it quite a lot and now i've just come to terms with the fact that that's just the person i am and i'm really happy with that do you do you think do you think you run the risk of living too much of your life in the future are you to, to your point about not living in the present or not being present are you are you and i think this is a common issue for entrepreneurs is that you we, we often are so focused on the next thing do you do you find it difficult to actually celebrate the wins and, and actually enjoy being there in the moment one thing i didn't do which is i suppose a bit of advice that i would give is share that share that vision with the people around you at home because i was i used to you know work all day you can't come home have you had a nice day and you go yeah yeah it's fine and it might not have been a nice day it might have been a horrendous day um but sharing that getting the people around you the ones closest to you sharing your vision actually makes it easier talking about it when you're talking about it they're on that journey with you so then it creates a moment in itself um so yeah, I'm I'm very vocal. I'm sort of very vocal. I'm very open with with the journey that I'm on and we're on as a business. You know, we just got a quite a key appointment over the line yesterday, and I went home and my family celebrated with me, which was a bit of a weird one. But it that next move and that individual mattered to the business, so that it, that creates moments in itself having that openness. I I mean, I I personally probably could learn 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 something from you in that regard because I think I still sometimes keep everything a little bit bottled up and a bit close to the chest and and I think sometimes the reason why it's difficult to open up about 
challenges at work when when you get home is first of all sometimes if it's if things are really challenging or difficult you're just you're having to relive that trauma but of course you're right because if you actually open up about those things invariably you're you're sh shedding that burden you're sharing the burden um and i think it probably does make for greater personal connection with the person that we that you're living with your, that you share your life with um you know when we spend so much time at work when work when as entrepreneurs work is such a big thing for us when we don't talk about those things with our partners we're shutting them out yeah. um and and i have to say i still am terrible at that a lot of the time getting a bit better but it's off a very low bar a very low base over the past two years, I've done a lot of work on on myself uh, through varying coaches and mentors and things, and um, through through the sort of challenges that I had as my upbringing. It was a, it, I think it's really important to try and truly understand yourself, and sometimes that's quite tough because you've got to face a lot of demons or a lot of things that have gone. But as soon as you start to truly understand yourself, and I, I find the journey of understanding myself and then understanding people around me really interesting. Um, it helps you. It helps you lower those walls and those barriers so you become a lot more open about it because you're actually going well nothing's going to go wrong here and even if i share that with my wife or my friend or whatever they're, they're adults and, and they're sharing that with me um because you know the people around you are in there for the upside but they're also there for the downsides as well and, and, and being an entrepreneur that things do go wrong and things do happen and not every decision is right and it's important that you've got a really close knit you know i, I can't say that i've got hundreds of friends you know, I've got a very, very, very small group, but it's a group that you know is is provides them that ability to be open and honest, and and they're on the journey with you. So when you do succeed, you go to them and they're with you, sort of high fiving you in the same way that if you get it, you get it wrong, they'll be uh, mopping the tears up as well. <laughs> no, I, I think that's I think that's great, and it's really really nice bit of advice. Um, you talk about working with coaches. I mean, I've had a coach I've spoken about it many times I've been working with a coach for the last six years in effect um are there any any particular moments that stand out or particular exercises you've done with your coaches that stand out that you know that you think would be worth sharing with with people yeah I suppose that the, uh, my coaching journey if you will if you sort of take my mentor through the business away from it who's, who's obviously then subsequently bought the business from and he's you know still a personal friend now and a mentor I always refer back to a high performing athlete you look at you know Anthony Joshua just as an example he is a naturally talented individual but he has coaches you know whether it's strength and conditioning dietary whatever it might be and I go well in a business sense to be in the top one percent to be a high performer you can't do it on your own you don't have all the answers and you need a network of people that you can go to for diff to ask the right questions to so i have people who are successful uh, business people that give me their time which i appreciate i also have a life coach which sounds very very hollywood but you know there's no shares longer or anything like that it's it's the ability to unpick yourself and understand why you react to certain things the way they do um the exercise the, the biggest challenge i had certainly coming out of covid probably literally weeks months after buying the business was how do we how do i where do i see myself in the growth of this business and how do we do it so to a lot of people i'd reached the pinnacle i'd gone from the bottom of the business to the top of the business 
but I really found that a really difficult time to sort of understand how it all fitted and knitted together and, and how we go about it. Um, and again, a lot of that was because of the baggage that I probably carried with me at the time. I couldn't believe it, this whole feeling of uh, imposter syndrome and all that. It, it's quite common, you know, imposter syndrome. And I come to terms with the fact that it's not imposter syndrome. I, I deserve to be where I was. And I think that's really important for people that if you ever get that feeling of, you know, do I deserve to be here? That actually someone with more experience, with more success, has seen something in you to put you in that position mm. that you might not have seen in yourself. So I then came to terms with the fact that actually I do deserve to be here and, and started to unpick that piece about me to release myself almost to to kick on and, and you know, the, the evolution that I've gone on over the past two and a bit years from purchasing the business to leading the business, you know, with uh, Tom and Rob, who I work with, to, to what it is today. That's been a huge journey. It's been an exciting one. It's been challenging, but it's been exciting to learn more about yourself. Yeah, I mean, I... I... As an experience, it really resonates with me as well. I mean, I guess the difference, one of the differences between us in our entrepreneurial journeys is obviously you, you you sort of rose through the ranks in the business that you're in to then become the owner, whereas I, I started as the founder. But I think one of the, you know, it's not necessarily a business thing, but it's actually a, a domestic thing where the, the the pinnacle the the top of the mountain for me was actually buying the home that we've got we, you know we bought yeah. a, a you know lovely home in a, in a in a part of the world that I, I always dreamed of living in when I was a child um you know and I don't think I my upbringing is comparable with yours in terms of some of the difficulties that I had um but certainly if I think about the last 12 13 years and the the, the struggle and the sacrifice and you know some pretty dark moments and then once we bought this house and this is sort of um late 2020 um i I, actually the the thing i experienced which was unusual is that i had this incredible lack of um motivation it you know they talk about the the it's the the joy is not in reaching the top of the mountain the joy is in the journey and actually once you get to the top of the mountain it's a very it actually becomes quite a hollow and lonely experience and i wonder actually in your situation whether when you when you got to being at the top of the top of the mountain and the top of the mountain in your case i suppose was being the owner of the business um there is that there's always that there's that you know, like you like you kind of said the question is now well now what so so now yeah, what that, and and when i look at it i i used to battle with it i used to go you know i'm never satisfied i'm never happy i'm never and i've actually embraced that side of me because that's the bit that makes me stand out or creates mm. opportunity or um so i really embrace it and even the difficult times in running a business the difficult decisions the difficult meetings whatever it might be is going into them knowing i'm going to come out learning something that's going to make me better whatever that is mm. one way or another so completely flipping the focus of how you operate and look at things uh, or like i said that development's happened it was always there but it's probably accelerated over the past two years um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's um, there's a there's a there's a point you get to where you go, okay. Rather than beat myself up about I've got this far and I'm sort of a bit lost. Actually, that's quite normal. But certainly, but very quickly refocusing that and seeing that as a really exciting thing. So every day, I, I said to some of the team here, we operate in a game that we never complete. It's a game that's never finished. 
So that's the really exciting bit that actually every day there's something that we can go at that's new, that's fresh, that we can change direction of. So rather than letting that feeling of the end point consume us, actually embrace the fact that we'll never complete it. Yeah, no, I, and I think also embracing the, embracing the chaos. But it sounds to me like you, in many ways, you, you've reframed as well what what your motivations are. You've reframed in your mind what success looks like. Um, and I think that that's absolutely necessary as as a, as a successful entrepreneur to in in my opinion that you know you you've you've reached you've reached the top of a mountain but what you but then you're looking down into the valley and and across that value is an even bigger mountain um and then it's just about creating that motivation to to go down across the valley and start and start the next climb up um and and, and you know I'm, I'm very fortunate that i work alongside a, a board of directors that that want to do the same thing and uh, a team of people that want to want to reach their potential so it makes it a lot easier if you've got the right people the right mindset around you well lee we've um, we've been we've been chatting for uh, over an hour now so i think we we're kind of in a position where we need to start to wind down but you know i've been really impressed with with everything that you've had to say and been particularly impressed with you know your work ethic and your fearlessness um and and also the incredible culture that you've created within within your business um is there anything you'd you'd like to share with our listeners particularly you know a a younger person maybe um who's a bit lost or or perhaps is you know is is in danger of falling in with the 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 wrong crowd you know is is there any business business or life hacks that you you think it absolutely essential to share with our listeners um that ultimately are the essence of of who you are um i am uh, absolutely relentless i do not stop it is it's it's a constant and i don't think there is a shortcut i think if there was i think you'd have the world would be full of a lot more successful people and we probably wouldn't have some of the challenges that we we have in the world um but it's been unshaken uh, from whatever the life is that you want to create for yourself, that vision, how you see life, how you see success. Be undeterred. Do not be knocked off course. There are opportunities and people and relationships that will try and knock you to the left or to the right and throw you off course. But really, really understand your why and have it pinned into the ground and, and, and don't let it come loose that's uh, that's great words great advice um lee are you are you much of a reader and and if so is there, are there any books that you've had that you've read or you've listened to for audio books that that have had a profound impact on either your personal life or your business life that you'd highly recommend to to people that, that they consume yeah i think i think it could be very cliche of me to say that i'm uh, i'm a bookworm and, and rhyme off some titles but I, I can't honestly say that um where i i suppose where my development comes from is, is from podcasts um but also having time with successful people uh, and watching and observing and listening and understanding you know when i when i look back uh I've not read a, a business book. And I think when you go onto social media, there's this thing where, you know, every successful person reads, you know, I, I don't. Um, it's just not the way I consume information. I have to visually see something, I have to listen and I have to um, sort of be engaged with it. So I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate to 
learn and develop and be able to sort of build a business and, and sort of give some of the points that I've raised to talk about today with you. It's come from all from listening and learning from other people and my own experiences and being quite self-reflective. Yeah, it's uh, there's, it's the adage of, you know, you are the you are the, the you are the average of the five people that you associate with the most and whether those people you're you're associating with are are in person or whether they're uh, consumed through various forms of media um it, it i don't think it really matters so much it, it's very easy to 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 read a book about entrepreneurship or mindset and but unless you take action from that book unless you've got the the want to to change and develop and learn then there's sort of no point reading the book in the first place we're sort of, for me, uh, going away, self-reflecting, and then coming back the next day or the next week and taking action with what I've absorbed, mm. learned, or been taught. That, that's the, that's the bit for me that that really matters is is the do, the action. Well, I think I think you'd get on very well with one of my earlier guests, uh, El Marie Marais, who uh, who who said in her her lovely South African accent, "Get off your butt and do it." Uh, so. Um, I think that's a, a really nice note to 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 end things on, Lee. For our listeners, if they want to get hold of you, either if they're interested to be a customer or whether they just want to to follow you on your various social channels and, and learn a little bit more about you or learn from you, um, how can people get hold of you? What's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, through LinkedIn, predominantly. Um, yeah, I, I'm always open to talking to people and, and building out a network. You know, I have a I have a real interest in people, uh, obviously in the business, but obviously outside of it, where you can learn and and develop yourself. Uh, and again, my my learning style is very much in, engaging with people. So I'd always encourage people from from all types of industries, if they feel something I've said today resonates with them, or, or they want to know more about PMD, then then engage through through LinkedIn and and hopefully open some dialogue. Well, that's great. And uh, we'll put a, a link to Lee's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes and also uh, uh, a link to Lee's website as well. So if you want to reach out uh, either way, you have the opportunity. But for now, Lee, uh, Lee Schofield, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a fantastic guest and I appreciate you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers, A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.